As they say, tis the season. And if you've been a Kings fan long enough, you know, tis the season for things to get a little hairy for the Kings. It's December and the Kings have hit a little bit of a rough patch as they usually do. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Good, man. Good. Happy to be here. Happy to have uh, some stuff to dissect, not just all rainbows and flowers this time around. Yeah. Everyone who was saying on Twitter and emails, that you're tired of the upbeat episodes, you're tired of the positivity. I hope you're happy, Mr. Grinch, because here we go. That's right. That's and the right. funny thing is, like, it, what are they, 5-4-1 and one in their last 10? 3-3-1 three, mm-hmm. three and one since we last recorded. So we're we're still kind of forcing the, <laughs> forcing the negativity a little bit, because that's, that's fine, especially when they racked up so many points. But there are some things that the Kings can clean up, and when there are things the Kings can clean up, that's... That's the bat signal for the banner. <laughs> it's like in the sky. Here we come. What would our signal symbol be? Like a, a mop in a bucket or uh, something like that? I don't know. If you had a bat symbol for us, I'm not sure what it would be. I have no idea. But uh, email us if you have any ideas. That's right. If you have a great idea for what our bat symbol Please. should be, that's that, go for it. Thebannermanpod at gmail.com. Don't be shy. Let nice, us know. Nice. Good plug. Uh, in fact, we'll be reading an email today from a listener, but we'll get to that in a bit. Let's talk about yes. this little stretch, Vardy. Um, like I mentioned, 3-3-1 three, three, and one since we last recorded. Uh, it was right after that Columbus game we recorded, mm-hmm. after that amazing comeback. Uh, but I will say, it's kind of starting there where you see the Kings have some cracks in their game. Because even in the Montreal game that followed, yes, 4 nothing, they took care of business, things looked great. They weren't playing quite at the level they were playing before the Columbus game. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they played particularly great. They just outclassed Montreal for nothing. And then they roll into the Islander game. And you, again, you see a 2 nothing lead blown. You see the team get rattled because of Anders Lee. They roll into New York. They're then back home in Winnipeg. Those are losses. We'll get into it a little bit more. But I think I'm I don't think I'm out of line saying since that Columbus game. The Kings have dipped a little bit in their play in all three zones. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I think uh, the coaching staff has made a lot of the same points, whether you want to call it attention to detail or uh, trying to think of some of the other catchphrases that have been used, uh, not playing direct hockey, uh, globe trottering, selfishness is leaked into the game, uh, when we're not checking, we're not winning. I'm trying to all all of Todd McClellan's greatest hits kind of coming out here a little bit, and and rightfully so. I mean, look they they had an amazing comeback, and it just feels like forever ago. But that Montreal game that we rec- the uh, Columbus game that we recorded after hell of a comeback, amazing effort, way to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, and yeah, they. They maybe didn't bring their full-blown A game to Montreal, but frankly, they probably didn't need to, and they still rolled away from that with a 4-0 win. I think the Islanders game is really the one that, to me, is where I started noticing the shift a little bit. They get up 2-0. Honestly, the Islanders were playing them pretty even uh, throughout that game, despite the score being 2-0, 
And then about midway through, they, I'm, I'm trying to think of if there had been another team up until that point that had been quite as chippy and physical and really just kind of smash mouth hockeyed them a little bit. I feel like the Kings have had success thus far in the season being a more finesse and puck control team, uh, really letting their talent kind of shine through over the over the teams that they beat. And the Islanders were the first team that I can think of that brought a kind of physicality that, honestly, the Kings, I feel like, were more historically been affiliated with that kind of game. And obviously, a part of that physicality, uh, Anders Lee being a good example of that, you know, some some borderline plays and obviously one of which ended up hurting uh, Vladi Gavrikov, uh, who very uh, valiantly came back, tried to play the following game and it really just wasn't happening and he's been shut down since, rightfully so. Um, so I, I don't know if they were ready for that, I'm being honest. And then having to go immediately the next night into... Madison Square Garden and play against Jonathan Quick. I think they were just completely out of sorts going right into that. Not not to make an excuse, but I just feel like they they got beat up, quite frankly, by the yeah. Islanders, mentally and physically. And I I don't think they had the right attitude immediately after that going into Madison Square Garden to be able to challenge the Rangers at home and and win a game. Yeah, and three and four going into the garden. Um, right. You asked about had anyone challenged the Kings physically? Probably not. I think Anaheim maybe played him a little physical that yeah. game at the pond. Um, but the Kings had a response for that. And I think Anaheim's Anaheim. I think the Kings knew it's a different level of team. And, and it's it's almost like your little brother punching up at you. Hey. Versus the Islanders are a good team this year. Like their record is pretty good. They're playing well. Uh, they and it's not just the physicality. They play that grinding style anyway. Yes. There's there's yeah. no space. There's no, you know, everything is earned against the New York Islanders. So you couple that with a couple of you know borderline gray area plays. Although the slew foot was not gray area, pretty black and yeah, white. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty clear. Yeah, I think maybe it just rattled the team a little bit. And then, you know, that game becomes a grind. You're up to nothing and you're kind of holding on. You're on the ropes. You go to overtime, so you're playing extra minutes. And the overtime goal itself, you could just tell, like, there's ex- there's fatigue there. Mental fatigue, emo- uh, right. physical fatigue with, the, with Dowdy pinching up like that. That's just the mental error. That's probably you're tired. And then you're going into the the Rangers game, revenge game for quick. Obviously, that's going to be the big storyline coming out of that. I just didn't feel the Kings challenged him all that much. You know, kudos to him for getting the win. But I don't remember him having to make too many difficult saves. The Rangers are a top five team in the NHL. They played like that. It was interesting that Talbot got the start against the Islanders. And it was Copley against the Rangers. I don't think it would have made a difference, really. I think the Kings just didn't have anything against the Rangers that game. Um, mm-hmm. So, I guess, I don't know, we can roll into the Winnipeg game because that's 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 the That's, that's the, the one game. that hurts, right? That's like, the that's game the one that you're... for multiple yes. levels. Yes. And um, I guess we'll just make this like a... <laughs> we'll, 
uh, we'll join all our powers and make this our our PL bi-weekly check-in on PL Dubois, <laughs> which we got to find a name for this segment, like you mentioned last time, and hopefully it'll be more positive than this one. Right. Um, Again, a weird game. Weird, weird game, game, right? They go up 2-0. They get a power play goal. You know, Alex Laferriere gets on the board immediately, at, like a few minutes after that. You're thinking, looking good. Solid start, 2-0 lead going into the second period. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah. Second period, worst period I've seen this team play. Or maybe just, just the Jets were... I don't know. I've, I have not seen the Kings get that thoroughly dominated in a period of hockey this season. Uh, even going back to maybe the Colorado game in the opener where mm-hmm. McKinnon line was just speed bagging them a little bit. This right. felt like that. And it was it was signed off by, by our, our boy, our ex-boy, Gabe Velarde, his line with Ehlers and Shifley, just unstoppable in the second period and they just shredded the Kings and the game was, I don't know, pretty much over there. I mean, Velarde gets the fourth one in the third, but a three goal second period for Winnipeg and then Velarde with basically the backbreaker in so many ways, my friend, in right. so many ways. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say about the game. The Kings just didn't, didn't really have it past the first period. I'm not into like, yeah, the schedule hasn't been great. Like, you go, you know, three and four, and then you're off two days, you play, then you're off two days, you play, you're off two days, back to back. It's It's been kind of weird. But at the same time, this team has been off for so long. Like, I don't think we're at the point where exhaustion and fatigue should be such a big issue for this squad. They've had breaks upon breaks. Like, the bodies should be taken care of. So I want to throw that out the window, scheduling stuff like that. I just think... Winnipeg's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And this team, for whatever reason, and we'll touch on this again, just cannot play at home. And yeah. I, for the life of me, cannot give you one reason why the disparity in in points percentage, home versus road, is astounding. The power play on the road is the fourth best power play. At home, it's like 26th. And that being said, they had a power play goal yeah, against but, Winnipeg. But it's just this this gap makes no sense. Yeah. And uh, I really, you have the matchups. All we heard is about matchup nightmare LA Kings. I just can't match up at home. I don't think they're matching up at home. I think they're just rolling lines anyway. Um, I don't know. But I don't know. Should we get into the meat of the matter? Because we're going to have to talk about this. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of talking about it, honestly. I'm sick of hearing about it. It's on Twitter every day. I'll start. Like, my feeling has not changed. If you've been listening to this show, when that trade went down, I think we made our feelings very clear. We did not like it. If someone asked me, if you went back, would you undo the trade? I'm going to say yes, I would undo the trade. My feeling is the Kings gave up the best player in the trade. I felt that way before I saw Pierre-Luc Dubois play 30 games. I felt that way when I heard the rumor. That's how I felt. Um, It doesn't mean I don't like Pierre-Luc Dubois. I I like Pierre-Luc Dubois. 
I've been def- I don't know how this happened, but I'm like a defender now of Pierre Luc Dubois mm. because some of the criticism he's getting is unfair. Some of it is fair, but a lot of it is unfair to me. Uh, his minutes have been cut down. Um, his power play time has been cut down. He's visually, he's playing fine from everything I'm seeing. Um, I've always felt Velarde's ceiling was higher. That's the bottom line with me. You can tell me the trade happened because, because Velarde was in a center, can't play center. Fair. However, the two healers goals set up by Gabe Velarde, he sure looked like a center to me. Mm-hmm. Taking the puck up the middle and hitting a winger on the boards for a goal. Both of them. The, uh, the first one, he intercepts a pass in the middle of the ice, skates it up the middle of the ice, controlled entry in the middle right. of the ice. Draw, pass, shot, goal. Right. Picture perfect three on two. That's that's exactly what I tweeted. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And the second one, Velarde's coming up the middle of the ice, hits a winger on the outside, and that's just dealers being good. I mentioned Dubois and Nexus and those guy, and I stick to that. When you watch him play, you can see that he's constantly thinking the game. This idea that he's not putting forth the effort, I think, is is not true. It was true in the Philly game at Philly. Probably his worst performance effort-wise. But since then, I don't think I've I've seen him not try. Um, I don't think he's made many mistakes. Can you truly recall like a crucial mistake that Dubois made? I I can't. Does he turn no, the puck no, over I a can't. little bit in the offensive zone? He does. Um, I don't but I don't think he's made many errors. I think he's trying. I think right now, for whatever reason, he's not taking a single risk. He's almost like refusing to take a risk, but I see that improving a little bit too. He's trying to make plays. Um, he just seems like he's not trying trying anything outside of like the mundane hockey stuff, like the safe stuff that the Kings do in the offensive zone and defensive zone, all that stuff. And some might say that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is I would undo the trade, but I still support the player, and I still think the player is getting better, and I'm still optimistic that things will get better. The problem with this game is just the Velarde versus Dubois of it is so glaring on the score sheet that it it forces you to have a visceral response to the trade. And it's, it's fine if I completely understand. I would be lying if I said I didn't have one either. I tweeted out that I'm having a relapse moment because I've I was building up to getting over this thing and I, and I'm still almost there, but yeah, that's, that's really where I'm at with it. Would I undo it? Yes, but I can't undo it. So I'm going to have to focus on our guy now. And one of the things I've been hearing is maybe, maybe we should try PL on the wing. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if the Kings try PL on the, on the wing, that will piss me off beyond all belief because Trying is one thing, but if you convert him to a winger for a long stretch of time, I'm not going to be happy about that because the entire idea of this trade, the entire selling point was that Gabe Velarde can't play center and the Kings need a center and they got him. And if you're going to convert him to a winger 30 games in, I might flip shit. (laughs) Yeah. 
I I've I've brought this up to you, this example up to you a couple of times, and my response to this whole scenario has been: had had we made this trade, for example, at the deadline last year for whatever reason, and you got yourself a twenty-five game, thirty-game sample size of PL Dubois as a king, and it was this. I don't think anyone would be, you know, bending over backwards to, to re-sign him and, you know, much less sign him to that, the kind of deal that he got without having ever having played a single game. And I think, I think it's difficult to not judge this trade on two levels, one for what you gave up to bring the guy in and two for what you paid the guy to stick around for eight years with no evidence of how he was going to to play with your team versus guys who had been playing with your team. And again, the meat of the trade comes down to Velarde for Dubois. All due respect to Ayafalo, all due respect to Kupari and, and the pick that we gave up. But the meat of the trade was Velarde for Dubois. And... Again, it reeks to me of some sort of subtext that we will never know, some sort of, you know, relationship issues or behavior issues or attitude issues or whatever you want to call it that they had with Gabe Velarde that made them feel like we cannot go forward with this player any longer. And somewhere along the way, they convinced themselves that P.L. Dubois was was the guy to bring in for Gabe Velarde, that it would work out because of the center issue, the the whatever. So I'm I'm trying to get myself to that point that you are talking about, which is stop stop thinking about the guy we gave up because you can't change that aspect of things. Start thinking about what can be done to to help the guy that we have now who has 60 point potential clearly how can we get him back to that point because ultimately that's what benefits the team and ultimately what matters most to me is the success of the team more so than the success of an individual player regardless of how much i might like that player and it's difficult it's difficult to watch gabe velarde be as good as we knew he was on the kings and immediately be that good for winnipeg and not necessarily see P.L. Dubois playing that well for the Kings, to see P.L. Dubois' minutes be cut, to see him relegated to a third-line role with, you know, Artie Kaliev slash Grunstrom and Laferriere on his wings, to go from averaging 16 to 18 minutes a night for the first 10 games with Kevin Fiala on his wing to now all of a sudden averaging 14, 15 minutes a night and being on the second power play unit, getting maybe 30 seconds of power play time every time there's a penalty. So when you look at that, when you look at those those details of it, and you kind of dissect it down to the objective aspect of things, yeah, it, it's kind of like, how can we, can we fairly expect him to succeed? Can we fairly expect him to play to the best of his capabilities if we are not actually putting him in the position that we brought him in to be, 
right? My my biggest concern when they were making this trade was, why are you even bothering to make a trade like this? Why are you bothering to bring in a guy to be your 2C when you have been playing Phil Deneau as your 2C successfully? And the argument was constantly that like Phil's better suited as a 3C. Phil's much better off being down on that level. PL Dubois is a natural 2C. It's going to work out well, but look where we're at right now. You're still playing Phil Deneau as your second line center. And now you have made Pierre-Luc Dubois, who has never played as a third line center, 14, 15 minutes a night now playing 3C. So I, I, I do agree with you a little bit there that it's not necessarily fair because it's not an apples to apples comparison anymore. It'd be different if they were getting the same amount of time, the same amount of opportunity, the same amount of whatever, and it wasn't working out. But you're, you have to somehow give this guy an opportunity to succeed because it's not like he's making glaring mistakes. It's not like he's just so useless out there that, that he doesn't deserve the opportunity. I think the Kings are just finding themselves in this position now where Interestingly enough, they were in this position last year with Kevin Fiala, I feel like, except Kevin Fiala is the type of guy who will just individually find a way to get points, but they could not find a home for him. They could not find a place to put him and they kept shuffling him up and down 14 minutes a night here and there. And so in that way, Victor Arvidsson's injury has been a blessing for Kevin Fiala because now he's got like a line that he's consistently playing on and that line is successful. So, again, it comes back to this idea that we we kept saying when they made this trade is, why is this even necessary? Why did you even bother making this trade? Was it even necessary to bring this player along? And now they're in a situation where I think they're looking at it and going, we're not really sure what to do with this guy. <laughs> right. I agree. That's... that's that's, that's the that's the that's the that's, that's totally what it is to me. Like Gabe, they knew exactly what they were doing with him in Winnipeg. In Winnipeg, they got him and they said, "Here is the line. You are now our first line winger." And he has played that, and he he went, he got injured, he came back, and he was immediately their first line winger. PL, and you pointed this out to me. You know, like I went back and I looked at his first ten games. He had six points in his first ten games. He's got one assist in his last ten. They've shuffled him around. They've put him in a position with guys who they're not scorers. They're not guys that he can play with. And I I don't know what their plan is here beyond just wait for Arvitz in the comeback and hope it works out. Because that's yeah. really what it's seeming like at yeah. the moment. And I don't like that plan. No, I think you make a great point about the idea that Deneau was going to drop to 3C and that Pierre-Luc Dubois would be the second seed because the the idea was that Deneau better fits the third line role. But you look at Deneau's wingers, they're the two highest scoring wingers on the team, aren't right. they? Right. I mean, well, one's the, leading in goals. And right, and the if, other one's leading in Fiala is a point-of-game player. Right. So those are, the, right now, outside of Byfield, well, Kempe and Byfield are both doing well. But my point is, like, your top six wingers are set. Those are your top six wingers. Well, your top six players are your top six high scorers. That I mean, that's that's how you have it set up. You have your top six players are your top six scorers. Yeah. I, I mean, but I guess the, the the begs the question of if you were to have put Pierre-Luc Dubois instead of Phil Deneau between those two guys, 
would the results be potentially better? Would they be the same? Would we even be having this conversation anymore? Because then everyone would be fine with the idea that, oh, Phil Deneau's not scoring like a second line center because everyone's more comfortable with the idea of Phil Deneau scoring like a 3C. But we don't want to see Pierre-Luc Dubois scoring like a 3C. Right. It's nope, expectation, it's right? It's expectation and it's the money that's attached with what you're paying this guy to play what he's playing. I think if you're paying him $7 million, I don't think many as many people would be upset about how he's doing. Myself I included. Think I think they'd be so upset. You're, I, you're I would be less different. upset. <laughs> you're different. Thank you. No, <laughs> but, but I, I think, still I think, think most people. No, but I think, I think you have to look at it within the context of what it's costing the team to have this guy. That million and a half dollars makes a huge difference to how you construct the rest of this roster. When you brought him on and you paid that money, you made it very clear that you're prioritizing having him on the team over something else that would cost you an extra million and a half dollars. And that could be goaltending, that could be keeping one of Arvidsson or Roy next season. You were willing to you were willing to lose those things, not just this year, but the but the upcoming seasons. That's how I look at it. And so it's tough. You cannot separate the price tag from what you're seeing out there. I agree. I, I agree, man. Like I'm not judging anyone who's having a Twitter meltdown right now. No, I'm I I'm I'm there because it's Jesse Collins said this one time and I loved it. He said, the thing that frustrates me the most is when people say calm down or like settle down. Right? Tells fans to settle down or calm down. It's like, dude, don't tell me to calm down. <laughs> like, don't I hate that. And and there's a lot of that going on right now from a lot of people who will love to tell you that they know more than you about a certain thing. So I, that's just one thing. I don't like that. Um, let people feel what they feel. There's enough smart fans in LA. Just let them do it. And speaking of which, we got an email from Scott Merrill. It's around this subject. Thanks for the email, Scott. Guys, email us. Uh, we'll read it. We'll answer it. He says, things are great. Hope you guys are well. We're doing okay, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. I feel this this team has the ability to beat any opponent on any given night. Having said that, I truly believe this team would be better had they not traded for Pierre-Luc Dubois. He isn't just pass he just isn't passing the eye test. We traded assets for an impact player, and we have something far from that. Honestly, I have not seen a game yet where I thought he was a, he was having a significant impact. I don't think teams are really game planning around what they are to do about PLD at this point. Um he goes on to he doesn't buy all the reasons why he isn't performing. I want I really want him to do well, and we need him to do well, so to speak. With that in mind, I have a plan: move him up to the top line to replace Byfield uh, at the wing and move Byfield to three C. I know what you're saying. I know what you're going to ask: why mess with a good thing? The team is good, but not quite there. Sure, they are doing uh, great, but there are cracks that are starting to show here are my thoughts so he's basically advocating that byfield take the three c spot he believes byfield is a future number one center he has superior speed uh, and passing skills which will have huge benefits for that third line uh, i'm interested in your thoughts so reading that it's more of a conversation of what's the solution which is what you just asked 
before I read the email about are they waiting for Arvidsson? I don't know what the solution is, Scott, if I'm being completely honest with you, because the Kings have put it kind of put themselves in a position where they don't want to mess with the top two lines, essentially, because they're working. It seems like they messed with the fourth line a little bit and then they went back to it. So there isn't much wiggle room there. You brought this up, Artie. I did not think the pairing of Dubois and Fiala was bad. I did not think it warranted such an early breakup, especially when Todd, who a couple of games ago was asked if he wanted to tinker with the lines, and he said something like, no, we want these guys to kind of battle through it, figure it out together. And my feeling was like, okay, but you didn't do that with Dubois and Fiala. You didn't let them figure it out. And apparently they weren't figuring it out. Like you said, Dubois had six points in 10 games and Fiala was a point a game. I would have preferred to have seen them figure it out together, actually figure it out because then you truly have three lines right now. The third line, man. Yeah. It's an, it's a nothing line. They're like, having good I feel shifts. like it's a nothing line, man. Yeah. But it's not a, it's not like a, it's Sorry, not a matchup ahead, problem. No, you're, I yes. see what you're saying. It's not a matchup problem right now. That third line, like you can't put them out against anyone. You can't. Right. That's the right. idea is like, you can put them out against anyone and it'll be fine. I just don't feel that's the situation right now. Offensive zone draw. Are you, who are you sending out? Who are you sending out? You're going to roll? You're going to put Leferrier, Dubois, Kaliev out? I doubt it. Not when, you know, one of the top two lines are fresh. I, don't, I just don't see it. And the, Honestly, and the minutes bear it out. I think, I think personally, just looking at the situational deployment, I think that line's the fourth line, quite frankly. I think the Lazalt line is more so the third line in terms of Todd's mindset of who do I feel comfortable rolling out there from one situation to the next. I look at that line right now as the catch a breath line. When they go out, it's a chance for everyone else to catch their breath until someone else gets to go back out there. And that's not it's to sad. say that, that's not to say it, they're not playing well. They are. I know, but they're not, they're not, they're not playing as well as the other three. It, correct. Correct. They're not. And that's, I guess, a good problem. I don't know, but. It'd be a fine problem to have if you weren't paying the guy eight and a half million dollars to be your third line center. If you were paying, yeah. if you paying him $4 million and he was your third line center and there were even shifts and maybe they were scoring, you know, Every third game, I don't think anyone would care. I think it's the player that oh, you yeah, have. Four million, there. yeah. Right. It's the player that you have there, the expectation that you have of such a player, and what you are getting out of it. And again, the way they're playing right now, the way they're deploying the lines, the way that the production is going from the other three lines proves once again they did not need to bring him on. This was, this was an unnecessary trade for an unnecessary player who's getting paid an unnecessary amount. And he's caught in the middle of it now because they, they have no way of changing up his situation without breaking up the other three lines that are successful and have been successful and have been playing together for multiple seasons now. And they're not going to. They're not going to change it up. And so once again, their plan becomes wait till Arvidsson's healthy 
and then probably send, you know, Laferia to the press box and say, thanks for a great season. <laughs> we'll swap you in and out with Artie every once in a while, whatever. Cause that's it. I mean, that's, that's the plan barring injury. I don't see what else they're planning on doing. Yeah. Scott, thanks for the email solutions. What, what would I do right now? I would put Dubois with Fiala and more. Yep. I wouldn't put him on the first line. I, I think that, I think that's a, no, that's a bad I think you don't idea. touch that line. I think QB is yeah. good. I think those guys like playing with each other. That's what I would do. And it's, I understand how good Dubois, or excuse me, Dano, Fiala and more are and have been. I see it. I know it, but you have, you have to get Pierre-Luc Dubois going. Usually you have to do it. I understand winning games and, and, all this is, is the most important thing right now. I get that. But it's not like the team has been amazing the last seven, eight, nine games. And I think it's more important, even this season, for this team's immediate future, for Dubois to have an impact on the game and for him to feel like he's having an impact on the game. Because if this continues, he seems like a confident guy. He again, he's playing well. But if this continues, like you're messing with his confidence. Going into probably his confidence will be at an all-time low going into the playoffs. If that's when Arvison's right. coming back or whatever. Right. And that was supposed to be the whole thing. Was it the playoff matchup, the three lines deep, the you know I agree, man. I agree. Again, it's it's not fair to any. It's just not fair to any of these guys. It's not fair, not just to Dubois, but it's kind of like not fair to to know to be like, hey man, because we're paying this guy this money. Absolutely, they would, they would never say that. But my point is, and Phil being the sweetheart, he'd be like, absolutely, put me on three C. <laughs> you know, like, and he would, and that's the thing. I think he would do fine with Kaliev and Laferrier. I really do because that's what he, that guy is. Yeah. So I would try it. I would try it if for nothing else, just to know, just to know what it would look like. Right. Because if, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're not going to get production from lines two and three. Okay. If it goes on for a little bit, you could switch it up. It's fine. But I'd be damned friggin' amazed if Fiala, Dubois, and more don't give you production. I would be absolutely astounded by that. Yeah. I don't think that they would experiment with such a thing with this potential slate of games, four more games, obviously coming up against division rivals before the end of the year. Okay. I think it's far more likely that they would just stick with what they have because these, these games are more important from a standings and uh point value position. I don't see them as experimenting much. Maybe afterwards, maybe maybe in the new year when you're playing, you know, Toronto, Detroit, Washington, Tampa Bay. Maybe then. Maybe. Maybe. Dude, I would even put him on PP1. And it's again, it's not fair to, to Quinton Byfield. Right. To drop to PP2. But PP2 is a mess. It is a complete disaster. It's not working. They're they're not moving. 
They're not getting shots through. Dubois always looks like he's like in this caught in between trying to be the net front guy and right, trying to be bumper. like the half. Yeah. yeah, he just looks like it just, I don't know. It, I've watched enough of him even before this to know that guy needs to be at the front of the net on the power play. It's and but for him to be successful, shots have to get through. Yep. And, and, and it's not. not, they're not, they're not getting through, not when the second power plays on. Right. And I think it, that the, the focus the is the only person that's getting him through is Artie, and he's going top cheese all the time. Right. And w- when you shoot that high, you're not going to get many rebounds. The goal is just going to block or shoulder it away. Right. You know, so this is, again, this is a lot of shit just to make one guy acceptable, whatever. And I completely understand how this sounds. But at some point, dude, you got like you. This is but what you paid him to do. This is this is this is what you paid him to do. Hundred percent. I think it's. I I agree with you that it's a lot. But the team made it one hundred percent clear that they were willing to do a lot to acquire this guy. And I think with that, that goes hand in hand with willing to do a lot to make him a valuable addition to the team. I mean, you gave up four roster players in order to acquire the assets necessary and the cap space necessary to bring this guy in. Okay. You, you got rid of two key players on your power play. I, you can, Hey man, you can roll over Sean Jersey all you want, but you cannot deny that the guy made the power play click and they're missing, they're missing that guy right now. They've got a guy in Dowdy. They got a guy in Spence. Both of them can rock it a shot, but they can't get him through consistently. Sean Dersey found a way to get shots through. That's why that power play worked. The guy, you know, he's a defensive mess, sure, but on the offensive side of the puck, he had the appropriate vision. He had the appropriate ability to be a good power play quarterback. And all due respect to Spence being a perhaps better all-around defenseman, I'm not seeing the kind of vision and the ability to run a power play that he was displaying on the AHL level. I see a guy who's looking for a one-timer and is looking for powerful shots, but not necessarily looking for shots that are just going to find their way through seams. And if that's, to me, that still seems like how they kind of want to run the power play. I think they've had to go away from cross-seam passes to Kempe because for whatever reason, they're just not finding a way of getting those passes through to him yet. Maybe that's the lack of Arvidsson again. I don't know. Um, But PP2, for the 30 seconds that it's out there, their approach has to be shots through rebound, shots through rebound. And it's just not happening with the current personnel. Brian Clark might be able to get some shots through. (laughs) Well, yeah. Maybe next that's season, a, Brent. That's a whole Maybe. that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Maybe next season. Yeah. But yeah, that's where we're at, man. Like I man, I like Pierre Luc Dubois. I like his I'm telling you, I like his game. For everyone that questions his effort, his effort has not been an issue. It has not. Does he fit the system? He absolutely does. He's doing the things. You watch him carefully. If you understand how the Kings play, he's doing the things that you want him to do. He's responsible defensively to his credit, which we knocked the shit out of him for. He's been fine in that department. 
so I I like the player, but at some point we're all going to run out of excuses. We're all going to run right. out of reasons that things aren't working for him. So I would, that's what I would do, man. I would be like, and the coach, listen, I understand that the coach does not give a shit how much each guy is making. Right. I highly doubt he cares. That's not him. Like, he doesn't care. Right. That's not his job. Yeah. His job is to win games, put the best lineup he can out there. But I don't know. If if Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be a difference maker in April, he's not just going to, when the calendar turns, he's not just going to suddenly figure out how to play third-line minutes and suddenly figure out how to play with third-line players. That's my point. Like he, He's got to get there. And and if he's not getting there in January, that doesn't leave you a whole lot of time for him to get there. So I would I would shake it up. I would shake it up. That's I, what I would do. Yeah. And and again, I would argue that your expectation should not be with a player like that, that he should be getting there and filling the role of a three C. That's not what you acquired him for. It's just not. It's the same issue I've had with how they've played with Artie Kaliev. They keep giving him third line, fourth line minutes and being like, why isn't he playing well? Why aren't we? It's like, you didn't draft this guy. His skill set is not third line, fourth line guy. You know, like if you don't put a guy in a position to succeed and and then you expect success, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. But counterpoint as again the coaching staff's job is to win games is to ice the best lineup and the best settings that they can so that the wins come and the wins have been there so i don't know man i don't know when's our right. getting healthy yeah, that's 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 yeah. what i'm worried about <laughs> yeah yeah so that's, anyway that's just such a bad sorry uh that's just such a bad plan if that's the plan that's not a good plan man Tell me what the Just, alternative is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get paid. I'm not the highest paid coach in the NHL. Yeah. If I yeah. were, maybe I would, you know, lose some sleep over it, but I don't know. Yeah. That being said, they followed up that Winnipeg game. They they won 3-2 in Seattle. And then yep. they won 4-1 against San Jose. The one the one last night was a tough one. I I didn't get to watch the game. I kind of just followed along, but the end of the first, the shot differential being something like 21 to 4, that's never a good sign for the Kings. <laughs> it's just never a good sign. No, the Kings, they dominated the first, but they were just weren't dangerous enough. Right. They weren't. And Joey Decord, in both games, his numbers are outstanding, but I don't, I don't think he made like truly, truly difficult saves. That's just what I... Remember, I, I'm sure the high danger chances were all in favor of the Kings still, but I just don't think there was a lot of quality, quality looks. And I think the Kings yeah. are still a little bit of that globetrotter hockey. They're still doing that stuff. Oh, for sure. Fiala was terrible. I don't care who says what. He had an awful game from where I was looking. He just, I texted that he was on his bullshit again. And people mm -hmm. thought I meant in the positive way. No, <laughs> he was no, just throwing the puck all over the place. Bad body language. Just, I was not happy with Kevin Fiala yesterday. I think they describe such players as enigmatic. 
yeah, we're a team full of goddamn enigmas. <laughs> you're allowed. You're allowed one per team. Once it gets above that, that's that's no. You know, we have four. <laughs> Whatever the number is. Yeah. Phoenix Copley out for a little while. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it sucks good for him. Got big save. Big save, Dave. Big save, Dave was good. He was great. against San Jose. He almost had. <laughs> Um, there was a point in the game where I'm like, I hope he gets an eight save shutout. And it was looking realistic mm -hmm. just so I could write eight save Dave. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Kings were outstanding in front of him. He made one really nice kind of a split save. And I was like, Whoa, okay. Old guy can move a little bit. Like mm -hmm. that's the one thing with Cam Talbot. Like he's, it looks like he could barely move. Right? Like he's so economical in his in his movements. Right. But I also think like he's just really slow. And he like if you go cross ice to him, I don't think he's gonna even bother. <laughs> it's just gonna be like, all right, that's one. Um, and not that's not to knock him, obviously. He's been great. But I was I was pleased to see how well Dave Riddick was moving. Mm -hmm. That was that was nice to see. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Calgary on Saturday. Yes. First time we're seeing them this season. Yep. And they just beat Anaheim. Good for them. Middling results through this season. Very, very average. 14, 14, and 5. But they have won their last three. Um, All the question marks still very much there. The Nazem Kadri's, the Jonathan Huberdeau's of the world... Still very much uh, enigmatic, <laughs> sticking with that mm -hmm. adjective. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, again, on paper, a game you would like to see the Kings come out and play a solid 60 against them. I think it's a team that, again, has some physicality, has a little snarl. Certainly not as good as the Islanders, but one that's going to play some blue-collar hockey against them. I don't think Calgary's looking to finesse their way through this game in any way. And a uh, few days in between to prepare, get yourself straight, figure out what how you're going to approach this. I, th I think these are crucial games. Get yourself geared up for the last couple between uh, Edmonton and Vegas to close out the year. Not in that order. I think Edmonton's the last one. But I think... I. I feel like, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like you're looking at that calendar if you're in that locker room and you're going, you're circling that game against Edmonton. Absolutely. And you're, How can I you mean, not? you got to be right. You got to. How be. can you not? Like, uh, how many games till Edmonton? Uh, they're the fourth one. So okay. it's a what is it? Calgary. Um, one in between there, then. Uh, then you got uh, Vegas uh, and then Edmonton after that. San Jose. Oh, there you go. There's another it's San Jose. A, and of course, there. it's a three and four for the Kings. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Thank you, schedule yeah. makers. Yes. Well, actually, it's a Christmas break, so I guess I can understand that. But um, wouldn't have killed you to put the San Jose <laughs> game on the 26th. So that game against Edmonton will be the Kings' third game in four nights and a little bit of travel in between. Not a big deal to go to Vegas, I suppose. But yeah, Calgary... Um, very average team, not 
good in any category. I think maybe their power is it their power player or their PK? They're probably their PK's like eleventh or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but their power play is not great. I don't think they're scoring a whole lot. Got to win that game. If for nothing else, it's a home game. Just win, just win a home game. Ridiculous at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting stuff. But I'd like to see them bounce back. I'd like to see them have two truly dominant games against Calgary and San Jose. Really roll into Vegas with with some solid momentum and close out the the calendar year right. Yep. I think that would be nice to see. I think everyone's Any, waiting for that Oilers game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. We'll be watching. Can't go to that one. Unfortunately, we have <laughs> more and more important plans. Yeah. But we'll have the TV on, folks. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's nice because we'll be in the same room. That doesn't really happen because you're hey, in San Diego. So hey. Uh, around the league, anything anything impressive going on for you? Edmonton no. obviously has been much, I mean, much better since we last recorded. Yeah. That's right. I think they they won tonight against uh they beat New, New Jersey, Jersey six to three. They did, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um New Jersey's not looking very good in no, general. They're and, just completely I mean, Yeah. Their goaltending is has to be the I was gonna say the worst, but then Edmonton exists. <laughs> but between Edmonton, Carolina, and New Jersey, I can't think of that's the bottom three goaltending in the league. Yeah, which is interesting because the Kings have the lowest goaltending salary in the league, but they've been performing admirably. Thanks to one man. That's that's the man. Well, the team yeah. also, but but still the yeah. Right. Um, you want to talk interest I mean, we we brought this up, but like Timo Meyer in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another guy making eight and a half million big trade deadline acquisition last year, 40 goal scorer last year, having a horrific season. Scored today. Horrific, horrific season. <laughs> did he? Oh, good for yeah, him. He good for him. But just just not a great season overall. And I mean, sometimes it's tough, man. Sometimes it's not as easy as just changing your team and being the same player you were, you know? Eight point eight million. Yep. I think I asked He's, you, would you, would you, if you would trade Dubois for Meyer? Yeah, ultimately I said no. I, yeah, you were, I said, you were more immediate about it. I had to think about it for a second, but I was just kind of like, well, no. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't solve anything. It just creates another another problem. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's got twelve points in twenty four games with a minus seventeen. Oof. Mercy. We have we have enough enigmatic Swiss wingers. <laughs> yeah. We're good. I don't need another one. We're good on that. Uh Rangers, we talked about they're freaking rolling. How about the Philadelphia Flyers? How about them? God, that division is bad. That metro division, that's what that's what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's the Rangers and everyone else. Yeah. It's a nonsensical division. Like Pittsburgh, awful. Carolina, not good. Mm-hmm. New Jersey, not good. 
I mean, and they're all above 500, but I mean, they all have less losses than Philly, but Philly. I mean, man, the has, Atlantic is not much better. Toronto is Toronto just lost nine to three against Buffalo. I mean, it, it's just a weird confluence of events, man. Toronto's goaltending is kind of in shambles too. They got Martin Jones in there now. <laughs> like just they lost wool to a, I don't know how long he's out for, but that didn't look good. <laughs> oh, Ottawa. Man. Oh, yes. We another did, we disaster. Didn't talk about Ottawa. Who I predicted would be in the playoffs. Good for oh me. Oh, my God. Good job. Ottawa going back to Jacques Martin. It's, it's 2004 all over again. <laughs> or however long ago it was. Goodness. Apparently, this is all a play to get Daniel Alfredson to be the coach or some shit like that. Why? <laughs> I think they, I don't know. I think they're grooming him to be the coach. I don't freaking know. It's just a weird goings on up there. Just, just send us, just send me Claude Giroux somehow. Just, I don't know how. Make it happen. Make the space. Send me Claude Giroux. And then you guys figure it out. You don't, you clearly don't need him. Your team is a, a mess right now. <laughs> 30th overall in the NHL. A winning percentage of 0.393. That is truly shocking with that roster. They are being outplayed handily by the Montreal Canadiens. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was off on that one. I, to be fair to myself, I wasn't the only one who, yeah. who thought they would be good, but... Well, they they made all sorts of good moves and they started they out decent. They, on and, paper, it looks yeah. correct. It looks it's like just, the job was done. Yeah, it's it's pretty marvelous that somehow the Columbus Blue Jackets are better than them. Granted, no, actually, I should take that back. Columbus has played way more games than them, so you still have hope there, Ottawa. Yep, you can close that gap, my friends. Yeah, yeah, the East is. East is rough, man. East is just ugly to look at. At least, like, I look out west and I go, okay, it's clear that there's... Yeah, the who's who's... The, the six teams that we talked about a few episodes ago that are at the top of the west are still at the top of the west. It's just in varying orders, and the other ones are trying desperately to get those wild card spots. Yeah. And, I will say Nashville, Nash man. Nashville's ahead of them. <laughs> Nashville's... Uh, eight, two, and I would love to see Arizona 10. get in the playoffs. I would I would just love to see Arizona sneak in with a wild card spot. And they're they're set up. They to would do be so. a fun first round watch. Mm -hmm. Not a fun opponent, oh, but a fun no. fun watch. I still think Edmonton's gonna go just... They'll find a way. I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm just saying right now, Arizona's got a foothold in there at least. St. Louis getting rid of uh getting rid of their head coach. Sorry, Chief. Jordan Cairo shedding tears. <laughs> what is what is going on, man? Like this, this league is so weird sometimes. I just I don't mean to look, man. Of course, you're allowed to be emotional, but like I'm sorry. That's just like, why are you crying? Jordan Cairo, you did not make a smart comment, my friend. That's not I, maybe you didn't mean it, sure, and you seem like a great guy, but you can't make that comment and then cry about it when the fans 
love Craig Berube for what he did for this franchise. Love that man for what he did. Like, yeah, you're going to get booed one game, and then you weep, which is fine. No problem with the grown man crying. That's It's fine. But... You cry, and then the fans are like, shit. <laughs> we took it too far. And the next game, it's like he scores, and the whole place explodes. Like, ah, I Jordan Cairo. I think it's just so funny because it's such like a – it comes his comment, which was basically like they asked him his thoughts on Craig Berube. And, I, again, you're, you're more well-versed in this than I am, and it seems like they were kind of beefing somehow. A little and bit. He tried to make, and he tried to make kind of this like – semi tough guy semi above it all comment of like that's not my coach anymore you know it's that's such a that's such like a and then the contrast of that to go to to tears in the locker room you know i think that's the part that that's so jarring you know you decided to make a comment that was just a fancy way of saying no comment but meaner and then you you backed it up by trying the best part was he tried to give the same canned answer like two three times in a row like coming back to it and every time he was he was a little more weepier <laughs> the first time it was just like i'm just here i'm just focusing about my future and then it's like i'm just here i'm focusing about my future and then the third one it was just like full blown <laughs> and then once again the media eggs him on Oh, he's, the media I mean, again. Yes, the same thing they did to Gabe. Same thing they did to Gabe, and he fell for it. Hook, it's all line, like and sinker. Blood in the water. They saw like, oh wait, was that? It's like they knew. It's like I think he might cry, <laughs> and they just kept asking the same questions. Like, must be tough, you know, just hearing the booze. How does that make you feel, Jordan? Like, I would. Mm -hmm. cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but you know, I I would cry, and crying is okay. Have you have you tried Especially crying <laughs> on camera? And, it's, and the guy's like, "Get the shot, get the shot." It's fucking terrible. The best part was that not a single Blues PR person decided to jump in there. Like you could you could almost see Kyra looking off at the distance at one of them just being like, please, can someone come rescue me? And they're all just standing there going, Nope, you cry. <laughs> That's right. Louis Pierre was like, we told you not to say that shit, Jordan. That's right. That's right. That one's for Chief. <laughs> oh man. Funny league. Funny, it, funny it, it, league. It's, it's, it has been a funny season overall. All so, right. uh, Mayor dropped some Jersey news today. He did. He sure did. And I, I was, it's interesting. Mayor got to give him credit for the Jersey stuff. He's always, or at least most of the time he's been right or on point or really the only one who cares about this shit to report it. And I appreciate that because we care about this shit a lot. Yeah. I mean, I care about it. I just don't have the, the insight or the access that he does to, right. to so, look into this. So, so I appreciate so I, him bringing I, exactly. it to light. Appreciate that. So, um, although what he's, uh, I will say what he's reporting makes zero sense to me, but uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, what he reported is that the Kings had a on ice test for some Jersey numbering that had, you know, silver numbers with black trim, black numbers with silver trim, and he was able to get get some 
leaked, I guess, for whatever a leak is in this industry, some leaked uh, images of the players like going for a little twirl on the ice with these numbers. But other than that, what he the, the, the main thing he reported is that when the switch happens to Fanatics next season, Fanatics is keen on having just one home and one away jersey for each team, similar to when the it was switched to the Reebok edge. I think the first season they went one and one, and that was it. Just mm-hmm. a very plain kit. And so what, what Mayer is essentially saying is that the Kings don't want to get rid of the Chrome jersey because it, there's a lot of branding around it. There's a lot of money invested into kind of that look. It's not just the jerseys. If you look at the Kings branding around the city, there's a lot of that. Like that logo is more prominent now that I would say than mm-hmm. the King's actual logo around town, the way the marketing has has pushed it. Um, and so what he's saying is the Kings don't want to get rid of that. And the fix might be that instead of scrapping it, they might just make the black version of it and go with that set mm-hmm. next season. He does, however, mention that that doesn't mean it would be a branding switch. And that doesn't mean that the Kings can't go back to that home plate the season after. And that's the part that confuses me because if you're changing your jerseys to feature the same crest, you ha- I feel like you have to rebrand at that point, do you not? You can't just mm-hmm. be like, hey, yeah, this is still our crest, but none of our jerseys have it. Mm-hmm. And this is just a one-season thing we're doing. It just doesn't seem feasible to me the way – Uniform rules are, I don't know the details of it, but I would suspect that your crest is your crest and you got to have it somewhere. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot that I don't fully, fully understand yet. I mean, again, the, the spy shots are kind of just showing the numbers more than any kind of crest whatsoever. I do agree that there's definitely a fondness to the Chrome kit between the helmets, the um, some of the merchandise that's kind of been out there, like a few of the undefeated collaborations that they have yeah. done have heavily focused on that kind of like hot rod chrome look. And I think there's a uniqueness to it. I think, you know, Vegas has their gold thing, but there's a uniqueness to that chrome and it looks good on TV both the jerseys and the helmets and everything. And so I can understand why they would want to stick with that. And it's not even really so much a new logo, right? I mean, it's a, it's a retroing. It's like a, to borrow from, from, from Kobe, Kobe Bryant's sneaker line. It's a pro throwing almost of the, of the prior Jersey logo where you're taking the Kings logo and you're chroming it out. So I think, but I agree with you that if you go so far as to actually create that jersey and you really want to maintain that Chrome logo, I don't see them for whatever reason going back to the home plate logo, which we have heard that there's there's some fondness or sentimentality or what have you because those were the jerseys. That was the logo that they had on their chest when they won the cups. Yep. So... And then not for nothing, there's also mention made of like, it's not lost on management that the reverse retros were so popular. Both iterations were so popular with fans Mm 
with the NHL community at large. And so those may come back in some way, shape or fashion, but the full-blown transition to purple and gold will not happen. That the, that the silver, black, white palette is still going to remain the primary palette. But I agree with you. I think if you're going to go through that much trouble and you're doing number tests and things like that, I, I don't, because for example, when you're looking at these numbers, they very prominently are testing out silver numbers with black outlines, mm-hmm. which the Kings have not worn on a jersey since 92. Is that correct? Am I right about that? The silver oh, number. Are you talking about the back? Yes, yes. Silver number with black outline. The last time was 91, 92. Okay. The best Kings then, jersey ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As as one of our prior episodes ranked it, um, so I, I just I don't see them maintaining the same crest, but going through all of this trouble to to have chrome numbering. Does that make sense? Yes. But so. here's the thing, though. I don't. Uh, these photos don't make sense to me because they're testing these numbers on the current Kings jersey. Now I understand it doesn't really matter because white is white and the test is a visual thing. Not so much what, it's not a design thing. But I can't tell, but looking at those are not fanatics jerseys. Those are Adidas jerseys. Adidas. So yeah. Yes. I don't know. It's just just interesting to me because they're also testing dark letters on white. Right. But the dark letters on the chrome jerseys are kind of set. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what. Yeah. And these are, exactly. these are very different numbers. These are very, these are much more traditional block right. numbers. They're not even the, the Gretzky era numbers. They're just completely Correct. new Correct. blocky and not good. I might add. Yeah. Not my favorite. <laughs> the Gretzky era numbers are just fine. I don't think you need to. Yeah, I don't know what we're testing here. It's all it's kind of confusing, but uh, all this to say <laughs> that should the Kings make that switch and and create the black version of this Chrome, I would be on board. I think it's an upgrade on what they have right now. Yes, the Stanley Cups it was great, um, but it's not like these jerseys don't have history attached to them. They're sure that logo means a lot to me, especially because that's like. The peak years, well, no, I shouldn't say that, but but those are the years I have my first true memories of being a Kings fan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's essentially starting when when the Kings acquired Wayne Gretzky and throughout. So, yeah, and I think it's similar enough to the home plate. I mean, the home plate is an evolution of that of the Chevy, you know, it's, it's, they're all shields. They're all, you know, like, I think it's similar enough, but different enough where I don't think there's any confusion. I don't think anyone is looking at that, that Chrome Jersey going, wait a minute, is this the same Kings team that won the cups? And right. You know, like it's not like some cognitive dissonance there. (laughs) It's, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it would be just fine. I think it would look pretty solid in a black iteration of it. Um, I could see the sleeves being adjusted a bit 
maybe to highlight the chrome a bit more and uh more traditional striping as opposed to the 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 you know the color gradient kind of striping that's going on there but i think a black version of that would look great and i think if you're going to go that far black chrome helmets there make them is. happen that's there what i want is. and i think the the canucks are going blue chrome soon yes they're gonna yes. test them out so that'll be a nice and they little... got their black matte helmets which i think look phenomenal that black kit of the canucks right now is just so good kings might go chrome white matte black that's that's okay that'll work but too. i think black yeah. chrome would be black chrome is a is a look man that is a vibe I had to actually, you had to send me a photo of what black chrome looks like for me to get the video. Yeah. I was like, what is black chrome? Right, uh, right. Just a really shiny black, essentially. But when so, you see it, it's like, yeah. it makes you a know lot it. of sense. Of, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. So, um, I'm on board with that. I like it. Do it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Yeah. And, and just, but again, do the whole rebrand. That's That's what I would do. But mm -hmm. clearly, no one listens to this show. So. <laughs> it's all good. It's all uh, good. Um, what episode is it today? It is the mm -hmm. most glorious of episodes. It is episode 111. It is an episode that really should have no question who this episode belongs to. Um. But nonetheless, we will have our good time and we will name the other 20 players that have worn this, this jersey. There are 20 players. Okay. But the good news is that one player stands above them all. Of course. The, he takes care of about... Oh boy, what do we add here? 15 By the years? way, just, just, just real quick. You participated well, in this, this yeah. list of like the, the top 10 kings of all time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Andre Kopitar was was your number one, if I remember correctly. That's right. No, no debate on my end. I think I don't think it's a the modern Kings fan versus old Kings fan. No, there's, because there's I'm no both. debate. There. Yes, <laughs> the when it's all said and done, he stands above them all in in countless ways, in my opinion. So, yes. So I'm I'm good, and I I liked your list in general. I think all all ten of those names are dead on, and you could you could vary them one way or the other. Yeah, it's the ten that are going to be in the rafters, like mm -hmm. no question. Yeah, and yeah. you know, someone asked me no love for Bernie, and I was like, dude, if you you clearly have not listened to, to you the, only <laughs> knew how much love for Bernie this man has. I loved Bernie Nichols to the point where I. The only person probably you'll find that would undo the nickels for Sandstrom and Granado trade. Um, only one. So there's a lot of love for Bernie. But yeah, uh, I think Nick Nixon had Butch Goring on his. I think uh, Jim Fox had Bernie on his. Um, I think Helene's was the same as mine, just different order. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's always fun to talk about those things. But yeah, this is going to be the Kopitar episode. Obviously. Yeah, spoiler. Uh, but we'll still we'll still mention you know Mike Donnelly and Charlie Simmer. Those are two of them. 
Uh, and there's 17 more. Mm-hmm. I'm, One of these, I'm I, don't, really... I don't even remember wearing this number, oh, but uh, maybe he did. Jason Blake. Jason Blake, very good. I'm trying to go, like, who was before Kopitar? That's that's the fun or the challenging yeah. part of it is, like, who so the hell... So you got three guys between Jason Blake and, and OJ. Yeah, I figured. That's a six-year gap. One of these guys I can't even remember. Oh, but... Danson Anson Carter. Ace. He, <laughs> um, he likes to zero be points. <laughs> <laughs> After acquisition. Uh, okay, that's... Ace. So Speaking after... just... small tangent the nhl on tnt broadcast is so highly entertaining it is i feel like they've they've really settled in on their personalities at this point you know you got the solid three between biz ace and liam McHugh, and then you got a rotating cast the fourth character coming through which i love when it's Wayne on there, Wayne and Biz is like the most unlikely amazing duo known to mankind. Biz showing up the other day with some nice product placement dressed like Aquaman. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. I, I know he's not for everyone, but he truly is the difference maker in that panel. He, he is, is the he's guy. The most, he's the most marketable NHL entity in my mind. Yeah. He's fun. He's fun. I know some people really hate him, and I don't know why. He's just, I guess, because he's not boring. And because, listen, man, you take Biz out of the equation, Anson Carter is not an entertaining fella. Oh yeah, Wayne Gretzky, a, no, not an he entertaining brings it out man. Of them. He exactly, brings it he out chirps. Of them. He 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 prods them. He pokes them, and then you know Gretzky will throw him a chirp, and you're like, I didn't know, I didn't know you had that in you, Wayne. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with your game. That's right. He is you know? Biz is is Barkley-esque in his he presence. Is. He is. And he he's great. And we're we're fans. So agreed. All ESPN right. needs Sorry. work because they're way Sorry. behind. Sorry, I, I needed to make that tangent. No, it's I, good. I, yeah. It's good. Okay, back to the list. So you got you got Anson Carter. There's there's two names that they have here between Jason Blake and and Anson okay. Carter, one of these guys, I'm pretty sure just wore their jersey for a couple games before Jason Blake took it over. Is there a Steve Kelly? There is. That's okay. that's one of the other that's guys in between. Of... 2001 and 2004. Okay, so this is I'm going to give you this next one because I, I, I've never even heard of this guy. Brandon Converi in mm, 1999. No. Yeah. Well, he played, so anyway. huh? Yeah, apparently. Uh, Brandon probably played a game. <laughs> So now you get into the pre-Jason Blake era. Oh, did I mention? I did say Mike Donnelly, of course. Yes. So he he had it for quite a bit. Uh, 92 to 95. And then there was three players in between there, one of whom I don't remember wearing this number. Must have happened briefly for a season. Okay. And then switched to a more recognizable number. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. What did he switch to, Lord? <laughs> if I told you that, you would know immediately. Okay, fair. Fair enough. But I don't think you would know otherwise. So maybe that's better. 14. Nordstrom, huh? Or yes. 11. Ah, that makes sense. 
I think he was 11 with the Ra- No, he was not 11 with the Rangers. I take that back because no one else was number 11 for the Rangers. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that number means something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he wore it for like maybe initially when he got traded over. Yeah. And then, and then he season. took it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe someone else was wearing 14 at that time and they couldn't wear it. Not sure. We'll figure that out in three more episodes. Yay. <laughs> All right. So you got one between Nordstrom and Jason Blake. It's going to be tough. Mm. For the sake of time, I'll just give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Brad Smith. Mm, Okay. Okay. So now you got one between Donnelly and Nordstrom. One year. And I'm looking it up to see if there was another number. Yeah, it was another number switch scenario, but... It's tough. Don't got it. Hit me with it. Shane Churla apparently oh, wore 11 at Shane some point. Churla. Then he changed to 27. <clears throat> uh, 72. 72. I guess okay. 27 was taken. But 27 cool. was his number yeah. most of his career. Okay. Then you got Mike Donnelly. And oh, then you okay. have just before Mike I Donnelly. I got one. I got a All Steve right. Casper for you. That's the one. Perfect. Yeah. All right, now work backwards from Steve Casper. Yeah, now between Casper and, and Simmer is going to be really hard for me. How yeah, many are there? Three. Shit. Uh, 85, 86, 87, and then 88, 89. So there's an 80, 89, number 11. Yes. So that's yes. before the Casper trade. That was Bobby Carpenter for Steve Casper. For everyone who wants to know that trade, I'm sure you were dying to know. Well... Wouldn't you know it, Bobby Carpenter wore number 11. Did so he? So it was not just a player-for-player player trade. It was a number-for-number number trade, my friend. hey Mistakenly correct. <laughs> well okay. done. Well done. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to know anything before Simmer, so... All right, so... Uh, you could just rattle him off. So, all right. So between Bobby Carpenter, uh, Lyle Fair... 86-87. Steve Shutt apparently wore it in 85. Oh, okay. Did His not, one season not. with the Kings. There you go. 79-85 uh, was Simmer. So he must have taken it over when Simmer left, that's my guess. Yeah. But, I mean, Shutt only played one season with the Kings, so... Did he come on after, after they got Simmer? Simmer must have been was gone. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so he Simmer, went Simmer okay. must have been Boston already or wherever he went. Um, so Simmer, 79-85. Uh, Pete Stemkowski in 78. Frank St. Marseille in 77. Mike Corrigan, 72-76. to 76. Mike Corrigan. There okay. you go. Doug Robinson, 71. Gary Croteau in 70. Brian Campbell in 70. And then Lowell McDonald. 68 to 69. <laughs> Your voice cracked. I'm losing Whoa. my voice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I went all old prospector. <laughs> There's perfect, the old in the perfect for there. That's right. That's Whoa. old. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been kind of like stuffy and I'm feeling myself losing my voice here a little bit. You're so. just entertaining. Just leave it at that. Don't give That's them right. the details. Just naturally. Just very funny. <laughs> Oh, peaches. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Good times. All right, who was before old Lowell there? That was it. He was the first. Okay. 68, 69. Okay, cool. That was it. Andre Kopitar. We he did it, buddy. I don't we know are in this episode. That. It's funny because we talk about Dubois, and I feel like the effort thing was so much a part of Kopitar for like the first seven years of his career. Like, yeah, he kind of looks like he's not trying, but like they try guys like that try differently. They're trying mm-hmm. just looks different. Mm-hmm. Like when Blake Lazat's trying, you know, he looks like the Tasmanian devil. You're like, oh, he's look at that hustle. Mm-hmm. Right. But when Andre Kopitar is trying, you're like, is he like going 70% right now? Like, because mm-hmm. he's just so in control. And he's just, he's ageless, man. He's going to lead the Kings in off in scoring probably again. Goals. I think at that's, least. that's, that's why he's got such longevity, man, is because his trying looks like cons- yeah. like he's conserving energy while he's trying. I don't even know how to explain it. He's his, just a lot, goal, he's, he's just that smart. It's play smarter. His last couple goals. His last couple goals, both of which came from like basically the same spot on the left side of the net, but from very different approaches. The Byfield one, the the one where Byfield gave him that really nice power play move, which I know both you and I were very very happy to see Q make like find the space, realize he had space, and yeah. decide to make a power move. They did a they did kind of a spot spot camera on Kopitar getting to that open part of the ice, and it was really interesting to see because he initiates he was he's kind of part of the dump in and the entry and everything on that, and he kind of waits on the blue line, waits until it's clear, and then you see him just kind of like take two hard strides, and I was like, oh, he really worked to get to that point, <laughs> yeah, but he took like two hard strides and then he just glides. From like yeah. the top of the face-off dot just glides and the timing, his timing is so perfect that th- there's no way to even stop that pass because he's not, he's never stopping himself. Like he just glides effortlessly to that spot right at the time that, that Byfield is there. And it's just, I think that's really it, man. I think his timing is just so otherworldly. So ahead of every other player, it's that classic, you know, he, he goes not where the puck is, but where it's going to be that kind of thing. So he, he's so many steps ahead of the game that he doesn't even have to try because he knows that where he's going to go is where that puck is coming. Yeah. And that's the, both of those goals were the exact same way that Kaliev passed to him was just like, the only reason Kaliev can even think to make that pass is because Kopitar knows that that's where he needs to go because that's the only way that he could possibly get this puck without the goaltender making it over in time, you know? And I think as I get older and my my own abilities to play get <laughs> less and less, my own, my own ability to hustle to any one particular spot gets even less than it ever has been, I, I grow more appreciative of that kind of game of like sneakily getting to where you need to be with very minimal effort. Yeah, because that's so. that's like the curse of sports. The older you get, the smarter you get in terms of understanding the sport you're playing, mm-hmm. or instead of or in terms of the psychology of the sport you're playing. Like your peak, your mental peak is when your physical peak ends. That's just that's the travesty of it. Like, it, and it's like that across all sports. So you know who who 
gave a great quote about this once, and I, I don't even know why I remember this. It was some random article that I read. Robert Esch, when he was mm. playing at some point, like he he had been kind of in and out and not really playing, and he came back and he had a great game. And I remember the post-game interview was like, that's the tricky thing about experience. You never have it until it's too late. Right. That's great. And I was just like, that's... Damn you, Robert Esch, you're a poet. <laughs> Robert Ish cutting deep again. You cut to the core of me, Ish. <laughs> Just uh, damn you, Robert. Well, shit, I'm not going to sleep tonight. So I'm going to be thinking about Robert Ish tonight. Just writing his philosophies, I'm sure. But that's it's a good way to cap off what Kopi is because he has somehow it's not too late for him yet, mm-hmm. and that's 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 the greatness of him. Yep, I I have no problem seeing him play like five more years because he's never been fast he's never like he's he's gonna be strong he's gonna be smart no reason he can't yager it up just just be healthy that's the only thing that matters that's right and he's goddamn very durable so that helps knock on wood all right man well this is good we got it in before christmas time just like we hoped uh happy yeah, holidays. Happy holiday. We love you guys. Yeah. Thank you so all. Whoever, thank you all. Whoever as you always. celebrate, whoever you celebrate with. Thank you. Thank you, 3000. Enjoy it. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the holidays. We'll see you in 2024. Go Kings Go.